Hold on to your butts. Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Review Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my handsome, intrepid, debonair co-host, Dave Blands and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello, gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context to see if they hold up uh, when rewatching them. If you are listening to us for the first time, you can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com for... Yeah, that's right. Contact at reviewpodcast.com for movie suggestions. I sometimes I get in a role and I don't even know what I'm saying. Like I, you could say anything at that point and you can never interrupt me. Um, and on today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the 1991 film The Silence of the Lambs. You spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. The Silence of the Lambs is a genre picture that was, as I said, uh, shot in 1991, or sorry, released in 1991. It was directed by Jonathan Demme. It's based on the novel by Thomas Harris, and it stars Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, um, and who is that character actor, Dave? You like Scott someone? Glenn? And Come Sc- on, guys. And Scott Glenn. Um, the uh, film is notable for a variety of reasons. One, it swept the Oscars in 1990. I guess the year would be 1992, but right. it swept the Oscars um, the year it came out. Uh, it took home Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Picture, Best Screenplay uh, best and Director, screen, Best Screenplay and Director. One of which only three movies to win all of the five top um, And not only that, it's a movie, it's a genre picture, which is something that Hollywood tends to not give a lot of love to, which is very interesting. Um, and on top of that, it has a female protagonist. It's an action thriller with a female protagonist. Again, something that doesn't happen very often. Um, uh, even today, you know, we're still talking about the gap between uh, female-led uh, films. So for all those reasons, it is incredibly notable. And let me read the plot synopsis real quickly. It's about a young FBI cadet who must confide in an incarcerated and manipulative killer to receive his help on catching another serial killer who skins his victims. This is the um, this is a movie that ter- uh, introduced us to Anthony Hopkins's famous portrayal of Hannibal Lecter, probably one of the most iconic villains of all time. It's a role that he would reprise in movies such as Red Dragon and Hannibal, right? Am I yep. missing? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a Hannibal 2 or something? Was he in that one? Uh, there's a Hannibal Rising, which is a prequel. And he's in that one? Are oh, you talking about Hannibal, uh, the, the Ridley Scott Isn't there a movie? Ridley Scott? No, there's a Ridley Scott Hannibal. Yes. And then there's a Hannibal Rising. Is yes. he in that one? No. No, I don't think what so. What about the, the, the TV show? Is that same... Same same character. Same character. Before or after? Before. It's it's okay. uh, it takes it's place in its own, rising. It takes place in its own universe. It, it's but yeah, it's supposed to take place before the events of Silence of the Lambs, but it takes place. Uh, it's it's a different beast in, uh, unto itself. It's actually very good. The show lasted Is it still three going? seasons. No, uh, no, it it uh, got canceled after three seasons, but it was it was really uh, one of the uh, standout series of the past uh, ten years, I would say. So Man, Mike, I, I just can't imagine how it could be good, like living in the shadow of. Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of Hannibal Lecter. Like, I just, I don't know. You know what I mean? It feels like it's like a knockoff toy or something. Well, it's actually, <laughs> like, it's actually, he's actually, Mads Mikkelsen plays uh, Hannibal Lecter in a series. Right, right. And he's actually very good. He's actually very difficult to understand. He's got a very mumbly uh, Swedish, I think he's Swedish uh, accent. Uh, but yes, it's very different than Anthony Hopkins. And, uh, and uh, that, which is, you know, it makes sense. I mean, why go for the same thing? Well, I mean, I think it's this, this case where, I mean, 
uh, it's like different people, different actors play the Joker and it works out. And I mean, it's just a different actor yeah, putting sure, their spin on sure. something. So Mike, uh, considering you hate gruesome things and you hate <laughs> anti-heroes and you horror, hate good, and you hate good movies, movies you, hate you hate good horror movies, movies in general. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much well, did I, I, you I, hate the silence of the light? <laughs> I, okay. So I think the reason why I hate horror movies is they tend to just be, um, like torture porn kind of thing you know the idea of just it's like glorifies blood gore violence um murder etc um for their own ends i think people just go to watch just to see people get mutilated which is like i don't understand that <laughs> i don't get it it makes me angry hmm. um wow, but so i feel you like you should understand it if it makes you angry it's tapping into a certain uh never no dave no <laughs> no <laughs> not really um but but I think if, if horror movies like this, I think I would be able to digest them a little bit easier. Um, and I think like... Digest. <laughs> so, so to speak. So to speak. <laughs> I, I, think, I, yeah, I think horror has its place. And I think it has a purpose. You know, I think it, it, it kind of points to something ugly about humanity. You know, something that is not quite right in order to kind of bring attention to it. Right. And I think when, when a movie does that well, which I think Silence of the Lambs does very, very well, I think then it kind of has a purpose to me, a, a good purpose, a good point to me. Um, and I think this story, this movie in particular, you know, is very compelling as a story. And I think the character is very well developed. I think as a craft, it's very well, well done. I think the, the cinematography is phenomenal. I think the symbolism, the writing, the acting, the performances are great. Um, there's a lot of things that the movie does well. It's just tough to watch. There's a lot of things that are just like, oh, man, all right. Like, not so much like that I'm a wimp and I can't handle, but it's just it's disturbing and like it's upsetting, you know. Um, but I think that's the point, obviously, the point of the movie Um so overall, I'd say like I, di- I didn't love it, but I would say it's well done. Like, and I don't I don't, I don't love it because of the subject matter, but I think it's a, a well done movie. is a good movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think this is about as much as I'm going to like this genre of movies. So it, it's oh. actually a compliment, even though it sounds like it's probably very negative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Dave, tell me why this is your favorite movie of all time. Oh well, you know what? I would actually put this in the in uh, my top. I don't know. Pick a number. My top fifty, I guess. I mean, this is this is one of my favorite movies. It's one of the reasons I, I picked this movie. It's twenty five years old. This is one of the most distinct movie going experiences I, I've had in my life. This movie was made uh, in Pittsburgh. The most famous scene uh, of Hannibal Lecter escaping from um, prison was filmed next to my middle school. The the year I was in eighth grade. Oh my god! So I would I would be taking the bus. They, you know, they didn't actually have Anthony Hopkins running out of out of the building, but it's a building called Soldiers and Sailors, and uh, obviously he's wheeled out on a gurney. Um, but uh, you know, I have very distinct memories of them making this movie in and around uh, the you know areas where I grew up, and um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of it's supposed to take place in like West Virginia or Washington D.C. And Pittsburgh was a a popular place to film movies that were doubling as other locations. You know, this movie doesn't take place in Pittsburgh. It takes place in Baltimore, it takes place in D.C., and I think uh, uh, Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia. Uh, and, you know, at, the, at uh, this time of my life, I was really into horror movies. I was, you know, I, I had gone through a phase of reading Stephen King books, uh, reading Tales from the Crypt comics, um, and, um, you know, it's... Uh, I guess violence and horror appeal to me. What can I say? And, and, I, and I'm sure I'm sure there's something nice. something disturbing that you could you could uh, analyze about me at, at, at any point in my life. And uh, yeah, I've done that. But you know, I mean, obviously there's something to horror movies. I mean, people go to them and they're popular. And this movie struck a, a chord with people and in a way that a lot of horror movies don't. I mean, it was is much more than a horror movie. There's a reason that uh, that Anthony Hopkins' uh, portrayal of Hannibal Lecter is considered one of the greatest film characters or villains of all time. And uh, I I think that. Uh, Jodie Foster's character, Clarice Starling, is one of the great heroines in, in all of movie history. Um, I think uh, that's one thing I appreciated about it. Appreciated this time watching it was how great Jodie Foster really is in this movie and how really well performed it is. I mean, this movie doesn't doesn't uh, has aged very well. Uh, you know, there's a, there's not a lot that dates it except for uh, you know the hair and the clothes, but you know that kind of makes it work as a as a little bit of a period piece and. Um, I think this movie uh, holds up spectacularly. I think it's a great movie. I don't know if I'd call it a masterpiece. 
Um, but I'd like to hear what Ivan has to say. Well, I mean, God, I feel so bad. Like, you and this term masterpiece. Every time you get in the show, you're like, I don't know if I'd call I really liked it, but I don't know if I'd call it a masterpiece. But he, ha- he has used the word masterpiece. I don't remember what movie it was for, but it was a movie that I really would not have know. considered Gabe a masterpiece. Is being like, this, is, this is one I would consider a masterpiece. Yeah, maybe this is a masterpiece, I guess. I think, I mean, I, I think if it's in your top 50 and you like it that much, it is yeah. a masterpiece. All right, then there you go. And th- this is... Um, I think because I gave Dave so much crap last time he said masterpiece that maybe now he's a little gunshot. <laughs> I, I don't think it's as visually... Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it's a visually compelling movie, but I don't think it's uh, it tells its story in pictures. Qu- I mean, it, it okay. Oh, I they, disagree with that it, statement so entirely. Yeah, no, I, I I keep backtracking because I'm like, okay, mm. I'm mm. wrong because it does it, it has some brilliant uh, uh, scenes where where the cinematography comes into play. Oh yeah, you know, I, I, in some I, really major ways. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, it's like I, I'm arguing with myself, and okay, I, and it's I, a masterpiece. I've lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me tell you, it's a way to go, Dave. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs is a great movie, and you're right, Dave. It does hold up really well. Um, it, it's a movie that doesn't feel dated very much at all, um, and is still incredibly entertaining. And you see why it was this critical hit, and also this huge box office hit. I mean, this was like um, I have a distinct memory of when this movie came out in '91. Uh, I was over at my grandmother's house, and everyone. Um, all the adults like the aunts the uncles and everything rented the movie and all the kids had to go up to bed and I remember I said I really wanted to watch I wanted to stay up and watch were you like six or something I was six yeah and they're like no and I I remember distinctly um, the only thing I remember from my six year old self like trying to sneak down to see this movie is I saw the uh, the poster which is um, uh, Jodie Foster's Ooh, face with the moth over it. Yeah. And I was so terrified of the poster. Like the poster. Yeah, the poster's terrifying. Um, <laughs> that I was like, uh, I, I think I had nightmares about the poster. And my parents were like, we didn't even let you see that movie and you have nightmares about that movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it has because a... Because doesn't uh, it look like, it kind of looks like a skull, doesn't it? Like yeah, as a kid, I saw that in the moth. It is meant to look like, like a skull, right, yeah. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, yes, this movie had a profound cultural impact and... It is just a tour de force of really good filmmaking, and the talent behind it, you know, kind of speaks for itself. You have Jonathan Demme, who's a, a very strong director. I even like his most recent stuff, which doesn't get the most critical acclaim, but I still think he's producing pretty good work. Rachel getting married. Um, I thought it was very good. I also didn't mind. Um, this is going to sound weird. I saw Ricky and the Flash, and it's yeah. not a bad. It's not a terrible movie at all. Like, yeah, it, looks, um, it, it looks okay. So he's um, he's obviously a pretty. T- he's still a talented filmmaker, I believe. And then Jodie Foster is obviously a great actress, and Anthony Hopkins here is playing a part that basically defines his career. It's what probably the role that he's going to be most mem- remembered for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he won Best Actor uh, for a role where he was only in the movie for twenty five minutes. So it, it's. And, uh, you know, it was shot by Tak Fujimoto, who's a very famous cinematographer. The score is by Howard Shore. So it's all these elements coming together to create a great picture. And um, what I would like basically, what, what I, you know, latched onto when I was watching it this time around, uh, the thing I, I thought about the most is we talk about Jodie Foster playing this great character, Clarice Starling, and how she plays a strong female character. And that is very true. That, that, that's wonderful that this occurs in this movie. But the thing that I like the most about Clarice Starling is that she's not a tough chick. Like, she's not, like, a badass. Right, she, right. She's, she's real. She is strong. She's smart. She's intelligent. But she's also vulnerable, which is something that I think we get wrong a lot when we talk about female-led movies. Like, this idea that female... Like, in order for a movie to have a strong female protagonist, she's got to be some kind of crazy badass that can never show weakness and can never be... Sca- you know, like, she has to be... She has to be the facsimile for Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, she has to be the action hero hero. And I, I, I think that this movie is a great example of how to take make a well-rounded character that is strong and engaging but also is it's okay that she shows her weaknesses and i think that is probably the strongest element when i was re-watching it i, uh, I think that's actually just a good a good rule across the board we talked about this when we did um uh die hard yeah when they become too perfect they're not believable you're not as invested when they're when they're real and you can relate to them more they're a lot more effective and there was a movie that came out recently, a movie that actually I have a lot of issues with, but um, I think the movie Sicario does a similar thing with Emily Blunt's oh, yeah. character where mm-hmm. she is strong and tough and very capable, but she's also, uh, she, can, she, she can be frightened and she can be vulnerable. I think that's really important that we get wrong in a lot of movies. Uh, we think that empowerment means that they can never show weakness, which is something uh, that this movie doesn't do at all because the relationship between, I mean, Clarice, 
Jodie Foster is scared of Hannibal Lecter. She is scared of the situation. The climax is terrifying. Um, but at the same time, she's doing her job and she's doing it you know, appropriately. And she's also trying to do it in the midst. I mean, it is definitely not a subtle message that this movie is getting across about how she exists in a world that is a boys club. And uh, I mean, there are entire frames, like there's great frames, visual frames in this movie, like the, the moment where she gets in the elevator mm-hmm. and she's just surrounded by dudes, mm-hmm. like, and she's like the shortest one and she sent her frame. I think it's just a, a great way that the, the visual language of the movie shows how she's trying to overcome a stigma that's probably attached to her for being one of the few female cadets in a pretty much pre- uh, male predominated occupation basically so yeah, I, th- I think they, they also there's a lot of shots like I feel like 50% of the shots in the movie are uh, the actor looking practically directly into the camera like right at you and it kind of makes her feel like she's more under a microscope she's being observed like even down to like, the, like one of the last shots like of her being looked at a first person point of view almost of the um, uh, the, the killer himself yeah. yeah exactly which is a hey, terrifying by the way brilliant mechanic storytelling mechanic like just how you can like that concept is just like terrifying mm-hmm. um very well, yeah just great I wish, I wish you guys had seen this in the theater uh, you know because that that scene at the end with the uh, night vision goggles uh i, I mean it's the, the audience in that i saw it with just went absolutely berserk and they were yelling at the screen it was like the, it, was, it was like a night at the apollo at yeah, the- <laughs> i guess i mean it's you know, sometimes you see you know typically if you go to a comedy you hear people laughing you go to a horror movie people jump i mean but this movie in particular i, I have this you know, just People just were, were when they passing talk, when, out. When they they're talk, crying. They're screaming. When they talk at this, when the, when you're talking to the characters on screen, you know that's when you know a movie has really worked for an audience. Yeah, it is a transcendent type of picture, uh, strictly because it's a movie that is designed. I mean, it, it it's a thriller. It's a, a genre picture. It's designed to appeal to audiences, but at the same time, it got all this critical love, and it's a movie that I don't feel like. I feel like the Academy doesn't recognize enough. I feel like it's a movie that I, we we tend to say like prestige pictures have to be about big, important topics oftentimes, and they can't just be really great suspense stories. And I think that the, the Silence of the Lambs is the rare occasion where a movie can kind of cross both boundaries. Um, you can like it for being a thrilling picture, but you can also like it for having all this deeper symbolism uh, uh, about various things, which I kind of want to get into a little bit. Mike, you're Mr. Symbol. Um, <laughs> Mr. Symbol. Did you want to talk about any of the symbolism in the movie? I mean, I think the obvious one is the one where they, they discuss, I mean, they actually talk about how it's symbolic of uh, the moth um, being symbolic of transformation. And I feel like you have a lot of, you know, it works on multiple levels. You have uh you know, the one antagonist, James Gum, um, great name, by the way, the fact mm-hmm. that it's not James, it's only one, because I was, I was reading about it, apparently in the book, his mother was drunk or on drugs or something like that and misspelled his name on his birth certificate, that's why yeah. it's not James, that's yeah. hilarious, great character thing. Um, <laughs> so we have him, right, who he wants to transform and become uh, a woman from a man to a woman, and I think he's kind of like, he understands that that, that symbolism, right? And we got um, if Clarice, who wants to become go from being like you know an understudy to the job to the actual you know special agent and then you have uh, Hannibal Lecter who's stuck literally in a cocoon of stone and wants to get out and have a view and see the world and you know uh, strike back the people who have wronged him uh, so I feel like that's kind of like a recurring theme uh, you know across the board um, that, that, that feeling of um, and even just the sense of like entrapment too of being in a cocoon I feel like Clarice is in many ways trapped you got your glass ceiling going on there's a lot of situations you know even at the end where she's um, what you're giggling <laughs> What? what were you giggling? I thought I heard you laughing. No, no, um, no, that's uh, weird. No, now you're hearing things. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm probably just going crazy. <laughs> a long time coming. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I think that's obviously one of the, the first. You know, uh, there's probably more, and I would have to just think about it more. But I mean, that's the one that's obvious to me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on in, in the movie. It's a movie about desire. It's a movie about having mm-hmm. what you can't. Uh, about kind of. wanting what you can't have, excuse me, um, and all the characters kind of in some way go through that. You can even argue that the, I, I think that the the the, the tension sexually in the movie is interesting like uh obviously there's something going on between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice um where he it's not like he like lusts after but he desires her in a certain way. Uh, he, he he lusts after um like pain. That's what it's like that's what he loves, you know. He loves yeah. to experience other that, people's pain in some way, whether it's emotional, physical, hmm. you know. 
Well, that's true because that's why he's so fascinated by the story about her growing up with right. the lamb story and why he, right. like, basically yeah. it's like getting him off in, in a certain right. way. Uh, but also, I mean, you could argue that there's there's something going on with her superior in a way. Oh, maybe yeah, I, sure. I was misreading sure. that. I, I don't think she's interested in him in that way, but he definitely views her as a sexual object. And I think that goes back to what the movie. No, no, talk- no. I, I think she's I don't know if she's necessarily like sexually interested. I don't think she's fantasizing about that. But I think she oh, I don't think she is. I think he is about her. Does that make no, sense? No, I, I, I know what I'm Possibly, saying. Is, oh, I they don't really play is, that up, though. I don't think. I think there is a, there is something there, but I, I don't. I don't like she says. I don't. When she says like, oh no, I'm not really thinking of him that way. I think that's true. But I think she definitely has a strong admiration for him. I mean, she wouldn't work for anybody but him. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of evidence to support that she has like a crush on him, or she is kind of a, maybe not infatuated with him, but she does care deeply about him. She's very very you know. And I don't think it's in a creepy way. Like nothing about that seemed creepy to me. I feel like they both respected each other. There's both. There's definitely like a um, appreciation for the other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he kind of manipulates the situation a couple of times. Like he does kind of use her in a couple instances. But I think she corrects him. And I think he respects her for it, especially at the end. Um, but I think there's something there. I think she's kind of interested in him a little bit. Yeah, you I don't mean, think so. You guys don't think so. Um, I don't know if I, I think it's almost like uh, it's an admiration. It's a professional admiration. It's like when you see someone who's really good at their job and you want to be them. It's kind of like that type of um, I, I connection. Think, yeah, and, I think and maybe that, I think he it's views a her more, more as like the uh, the daughter type character. Like it's almost like a father daughter relationship in a certain way. Yeah, that's always the sense I got of it. Um, but I don't know. I I think that there is there's some there's a language of the film where all the other men in this FBI academy treat her I mean just the way they look at her it's designed they definitely treat her uh, as a sexual object even sure. even uh, and the the one where this is most apparent is you know the the the, psycho- the the psychologist that watches over Hannibal Lecter um uh, Chilton, mm, Chilton. Yep. Chilton. Yeah. um and Chilton, he yeah. is He's obviously supposed to be like an asshole, so mm-hmm. like he right. Like, so you don't really feel too bad for him at the end. But yeah. well, I mean, I think that's really interesting with the way this movie does uh, a variety of things. One, Hannibal Lecter is a villain, correct? But the mm-hmm. audience is also kind of supposed to root for him in a way, which is really interesting to me. Like, I think we as the audience are supposed to be kind of excited that he got out. Like, we're not supposed to be. That's not supposed to be. Oh crap, he got out. It's like, oh man, he's so smart. He figured out a way out. Like, there's something about we as an audience are never meant to view Hannibal Lecter as he's supposed to be an evil presence, but I never believe him to be the evil villain of the movie. The villain of the movie is Buffalo Bill, um, which I think is really interesting that it's not the guy that eats people and chews off people's faces and tongues. (laughs) Like, that's not the villain of your movie. And I think that's Well, because I think it seems seems that he has more of an order to him, right? Like, I think there's a stark contrast uh, between him and what's his name? Uh, Jim Gum. No, no, no. The guy two cells over. A Gib? Oh, oh, Migs or something. Migs, thank you, Migs. Um, I think there's like a, a definite. Uh, they make a distinction that he's not. He has manners. He has a code. He has a sense of honor about him. You know, um, if he's a complete badman, he'd be hunting down Clarice. You know, which by the way, does that happen in later movies or is what? What does she go after him? And he like what? What happens there? Um, I don't know. I've never actually seen anything else in this series of movies. I've never seen oh, so Red you, Dragon or Hannibal. Or uh, the one thing I've always loved about this movie was the ending. I mean, this movie I love just the uh, the the end phone conversation where he says, "I'm having an old friend for dinner," which is a kind of a hammy line, but he delivers it so well. And, and the shot of him just kind of blending, uh, disappearing into a crowd of people. I always love the idea of us not really knowing, honestly, what happened to him. Even though you you know they made they wrote sequels to this, they made sequels to this. Um, you know, I always preferred uh, the mystery in this case, where we don't, we just don't know. I mean, he just he puts on regular clothes. It's like seeing um, a wild animal out in, um, you know, in public or something. You know, he's uh, he looks, uh, you know, like he belongs. But we know that uh, you know Hannibal Lecter is is, uh, you know, uh, the most you know incredibly dangerous. And I think to answer your question, I don't know who who asked this question, but I think the reason we. I think you're right. I think you're onto something about Hannibal Lecter. Why we were all we're sort of meant to root for him in a way. I think it's because with his character, we see him helping. You know, he's uh, he's helping our uh, the audience. Uh, he's helping audience the audience's protagonist, Jodie Foster, and uh, we don't see him hurting anybody at the beginning. We hear stories, uh, but uh, he's just a very odd and. Um, Enigmatic, mm-hmm. enigmatic, menacing, I, I menacing think, but you know we see uh, Buffalo Bill hurt, hurt uh, a young innocent woman, you know, at the beginning of the movie, and so we know right away that this guy is the villain. This is the guy we're, you know, rooting f- uh, to be caught and and killed. Uh, and with Hannibal Lecter, 
um, you know, we can almost identify with, you know, what he wants, which is to, you know, be free and be able to do what you, you know, go about your business and do the things that make you yeah. happy. For, unfortunately for him are, you know, eating people. <laughs> right. I mean, minor, minor detail that really. <laughs> I, I think I think we're, we're supposed to respect and fear him much the way Clarice does. I think she definitely fears him and she has respect for him, but doesn't fear him so much as she's not going to con the guy. She's not going to do, you know, she actually makes a lot of moves in the movie. You're like, wow, like, props to you. I'd be terrified. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have dared do that. You know, where she kind of gives him the bogus deal. Um, there's things that I, I think he's, you know, the enemy of my enemy kind of thing. You know, I mm. think he is leading her to catch this guy, but really not because he wants to see this guy put behind bars, but only because it's going to facilitate his escape. And it's something he can use to get out of prison and, and secure his own ends. I'm sure he could care less if this guy keeps eating people or not. Like, it doesn't matter to him. Mm. Um, but I, I think what's interesting about it is because he is helping her, you have this strange feeling of like, oh, but he's like, He's my friend. And maybe he actually really does like her. Maybe there's like a friendship there. Maybe there's something there, which, yes, I think we all kind of, we, we hit the nail on the head there before. I think that he does for sure feel something for her. I think there's a certain amount of respect he has for her. Um, but I think at the end of the day, yeah, he's a, he's a bad guy. And I think you have this kind of like dual threat in the movie where you don't know where he's going to pop up next. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's just really interesting. Um, it's just between the two types of depravity, you have someone who's ordered and has a code and a, a, uh, a method. And I guess, I guess, uh, you know, James does it as well, but his is a little bit more depraved and a little bit less. It's just a matter of what he wants, and that's it. It's There's far no more self. To it's it. far more self-serving, you know. Like, right? Yeah. yeah which I, think, I mean, animals is to to a degree too. But there's also there's no honor. I feel like with him, he he's more of just like I'm gonna do what I have to do to get what I want. And that's it. Like mm-hmm. you know. Um, and let, yeah. let's actually let's talk about that because I felt like. As, 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 you know, uh, well-developed as Hannibal Lecter is, I felt like maybe his delivery or his character is not as intriguing to me as the character of J.M. Gum, who's we see much less of. And I feel, I don't know, was a little bit more compelling as a bad guy. I felt like maybe I'm just used to the cliche of, like, the person who's always in control and speaks very clearly and, and you know, is very charismatic. But J.M. Gum is a very interesting character because he's doing these horrific acts, but there's also something about him, like, that... You know, there's these little cracks of humanity that you see, like when he's giving, you know, the whole scene with uh, uh, it puts lotion on his skin or also gets the hose again, and she keeps like begging him for mercy, and then all of a sudden he just like cracks and he starts screaming at her. Because I think there's a part of him, it almost seems like he does understand what he's doing, but is pushing it down. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely like a, a crack in the character. Well, I think um, um, like what I would say is Hannibal Lecter, as much as I like him, you know, he's such a movie character. Like Hannibal Lecter right, is like the most right. moviest movie character that has ever movied, right? <laughs> right, Whereas, right. Uh, James Gum, this Buffalo Bill character, is Feels a, tra- like a real, is a, a, real is a tragic, disturbing person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, like I don't, First, like I think Hannibal Lecter is really cool and interesting, but I also know that he feels like a product of a writer to me, a writer that wanted to write a cool character that exactly. talked coolly and is always sm- like is always smarter than everyone else. Whereas always James cool, Gum- his plan always works. Like yeah, yeah he, he feels just like yeah. But James like, Gum isn't that way. He's not always in control, and he you know he screws up, and he's dumb, and he he's um, he wants something that is you know flawed, and he's I I I think I see what you're saying, Mike, in a certain way. I don't know if he's necessarily more interesting. He it feels more like he could exist as this terrifying thing in a real well, life. There, there's like I, I think there's things with him where I kind of want to know like what's going on under the surface. Whereas I feel like Hannibal Lecter is like we we know. You know, like, he, we know his, his motives. We know how he operates. Like, Jim Gum is kind of like, what? what's his deal? Like, there's things, like, I think my favorite thing he does in the entire movie was at the very end when he's going through the business cards, right? And and when, when Clarice is putting it together that he's the killer. And she asks him, like, can I use your phone? He does this weird, like, snicker, smirk, like, like, bur- like nasal noise. And I, I can't tell if he's, like... He knows he's been caught. Right. Uh, I can't tell if it's a giggle, like he's laughing, or he's like, oh, and he's angry. Like, it's just a very interesting, I, I just, I don't know. I think the performance is interesting. It, it's not what you'd expect. It's not like he's like, he's bite, he starts biting his lip or he gets, it's like a weird, you know what I mean? It's like it was a yeah, weird yeah. tick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, he just was, also, that actor is just a weird looking guy. I mean, let's be honest, like, yeah. and his voice is, his it, voice is yeah. so weird. Like, so, I mean, he's, it is. His voice sounds much older than he is somehow, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you know you know what he's uh I don't know if you guys have ever seen the the blockbuster hit Joyride. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I did actually. Yeah. Is okay, that a horror yeah. movie? With a uh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker, right, Steve, Steve Zahn, Zahn. yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Lily Sobieski. 
Yeah. Um, he, it's basically they, they, they provoke a killer over a CB radio. They trick him into thinking that they're a, long story short. It's, it's a voice. The villain is mostly a voice and he has this just this creepy sounding voice and it works in this movie and it works in that movie. It's like just a very strange sound. I don't know what the quality is exactly. Maybe that is, is deep it's like a, it's or it's like a crawling. It's like a, yeah. It's like he's yawning or something. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Something <laughs> strange. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the visual language of the movie, which Dave said it wasn't well shot because he's a new. No, no, no. So, I, I did. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you said it. It's too late. It's uh, the, the one thing about this film that I think is real interesting is it is a movie of close-ups. Um, I don't think I've seen a movie rec- in recent times where I have seen characters in close-up as much as this film, um, and I think it's very intriguing. And you could, you could, you know, the, the reasons for this could be varied. One, it kind of looks cool. Two, he's got great actors, so it's great to focus on. The, their faces of these great actors and as Mike mentioned also it's this idea that Clarice is kind of always being you watched. Know, watched and viewed but at the same time like if you look at that interaction between Clarice and Hannibal when they're in that cell situation uh, in that stone um, you know, in the beginning when they first mm-hmm. meet, the way he shoots that in close up, it's a way of almost eliminating the bars between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this idea that uh, they're almost existing in the same space. Also, he shoots a lot of stuff. He shoots these close ups uh, using longer lenses, not wide angle lenses. So, mm-hmm. um, what that does is if you shoot a lot uh, 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 with a, uh, like a, a longer lens, it compresses the background mm-hmm. forward. So again, a lot it, of depth it, of field. It, so it, it creates a lot of depth of field. Um, and what that does is it kind of almost, we talked about this idea of cages and, and, and containing things and that it does that very much in the frame, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I mean, this movie's just really well shot. It, it's, it's got a, 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 a plethora of Steadicam shots. It's um, a, a lot of Steadicam shots, a lot of point of view shots. It is... Um, I think that this is one of those cases where it's a tour de force of directing where obviously I think that the director's hand elevates the material uh, beyond what's on the page, which I think is really uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about uh, in terms of the look of the movie. I, I feel like the defining scene of the movie, for me at least, is the um, the scene where they've, they've taken him, I think, to Tennessee. He's in this... Uh, he's in this cage in the middle of a giant room. I mean, right. can you, you know, in, in it's the so re- impractical, right? It's so impractical in the real world. I mean, that's, that's, you know, this movie does go off on some kind of Gothic, um, you know, it makes, it makes itself, it makes itself of a, you know, it uses its moviness, you know, to, to its own advantage <laughs> where, you, you know, you see this gigantic room and you see this cell in the middle. I mean, it makes Hannibal Lecter seem more fierce and more intimidating because, why would you keep a guy in the you know you you know in real life you probably just keep him in the closet chained up to a you know to a you know water pipe or something but they put him in you know the biggest creepiest uh, you know chamber of, of some kind of room I mean what is like a courthouse or something and uh, they have one like little cage in the middle like he's um, you know on display or something and uh, you know that's where they have this famous interaction between. Uh, Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter where she you know it's one of those movies where she says the title they, she almost says the title of the movie in that scene where she where she talks about uh, being a little girl and trying to save lambs she was an orphan girl her father was killed in the line of duty and um, that scene the way it's shot I just you know it, it's, it was unforgettable seeing that in the theater and seeing that you know it, I, it, I remember looking one way in the theater like I, I just remember the eyes and like the blackness of her hair on the sides of the frame and the white, you know, his white shirt and how everything glows and the contrast between the light and the dark um, and just, the, you know, the acting with their eyes. I mean, Anthony Hopkins is so still and her eyes are kind of darting not back and forth too much. But just, you know, there's a certain there's a certain way she has of trying to, you know, you believe she's re- really recalling a painful memory. I mean, it's so believable. It's so well acted. I mean, that, that's, you know, that sequence of them. Uh, meeting and then Hannibal Lecter escaping. It's one of those, you know, it's like 30 minutes of film that I, I feel like I could put on almost any time uh, if, I, if, if I, I really need to like say, you know, if I'm really in the mood to watch quality cinema. I mean, that that 30 minutes alone is uh, it's hard to get better than that. And, and and I think that the way the movie handles violence is an important thing. Um, it, it's amazing. It's about incredibly gruesome things. But this is a film that could have easily been rated X if it actually showed you all the things that it references or talks about. And right, the restraint yeah. that it takes not to show certain things. Um, there are obviously, like, 
money moments, like very disturbing, disgusting moments, but they are very, they're brief and they don't happen that often. I think the biggest and most probably goriest moment is when Hannibal Lecter removes the dude's face, probably. You don't uh, see him, rem- oh, you mean where he has the face on him? Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is I think that for me, that wasn't necessarily the worst thing. I don't even know what the worst thing is at this point, but I feel like that's that's an easy thing to probably I don't know probably seeing the photographs of all like the girls that had like large portions of their skin missing like that was or the yeah that's probably yeah. the worst part of it I think but um, see that's I feel like not so bad because by the time you realize what it is it's already gone right you know, it's not like if you saw him putting the face on his face or cutting it face off of someone else that that's like oh my god that would have been horrific. but the fact that you just think he's his face is lacerated and bloody and then all of a sudden he kind of like just swipes it away it's already you know what I mean? Like you don't realize yeah, what yeah, you're looking at. So uh, I think that makes it easier to, to to deal with. The movie the movie's about reactionary or reactions to violence rather than the violence themselves. It, the movie's much more interested in showing you how people respond to how disturbing things are, whether it be, you know, Hannibal um the, the them showing the picture of the guy who um ate his own tongue or whatever. Or well, no, he, he tackled a nurse, broke her jaw, and then ate oh, her yeah. tongue. Yeah, that, right, and they right. show you the picture, and right. they only show her. They only show, they show you what, her seeing the picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, writing flaw, the fact that, like, oh, and his pulse never went past, like, 65 beats per minute, whatever the heck it was. Like, I'm sorry, no, he would have, he's eating someone. If he's a cannibal, he enjoys it. His pulse would have gone up. Well, it's that's, not like, that's the, I mean, this is... Going into this issue of... Come on now. Hannibal Lecter is the perfect uh, writerly creation. I mean, he is better than all of us in the sense that he knows fine art and he's a great artist and he loves classical music. He's like everything that like cultured people are supposed to be, but no one really is. Like he's what we envision um, the elite to be. And the movie definitely... Uh, plays with that and I, I would even go to say that Anthony Hopkins performance is great don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's bad or anything like that but it's such an it's such a performance that uh, it's such like an actory performance as well yeah, like right, it's the kind of right. thing that people love giving awards to where we don't like we we oftentimes don't recognize acting that just feels really natural and like you know the uh, best underplayed. acting you don't notice because it just seems yeah. like it, it, you believe it you know and as much as I think that he's doing a great job portraying this you know larger than life character so to speak Anthony Hopkins is so like he's making big choices, like in big choices in the sense that like his stillness and the way he talks and mm-hmm. the intensity of his eyes. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is an actor who's got so great. That's eyes. where the skill comes in is, is that he's able to make um, this character feel so much larger than life with you know kind of very uh, minor things, right? I mean, mm-hmm. just. Just, just well, I, I think and... I think even even the you know the fact that he can make it believable to an audience when in theory it shouldn't be because it, it, we're saying it's so larger than life it's, it's he's too perfect of a character the fact that he can make it feel more real you know to the even to the untrained eye I think it says something about his performance yeah um, so I mean it's just kind of interesting um, how I mean if you were to ask people what they remember about this movie. Uh, Hannibal Lecter comes before Buffalo Bill. I it's feel him. Like in, in, in people's co- uh, um, recognition of what this movie is about. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, it also, I mean, I think I mentioned that he won Best Picture for being only being, I'm um, sorry, Best Actor for only being on screen for 25 minutes. Mm. So a little bit of history about this movie. Um, originally was the rights were purchased by or organized or went to uh, Gene Hackman who wanted to write not sorry, wanted to direct and star, a star yeah. um, and then ended up getting passed off uh, because his daughter told him that she, he could never play Hannibal Lecter and she uh, she would be so freaked out. <laughs> yeah. um, other things, interesting facts about the movie. So the last, the final shot of the movie, um, which Dave mentioned, this great crane shot of him just kind of blending into the world. That was not the original ending as written. The original ending as written was you actually saw him um, in a room with a bound and gag Chilton wearing basically the same getup he wore when he had to wear his, like, you know, restraints. Oh, sure, with the mask and, on the face. And, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the final shot of the movie is Hannibal Lecter holding up a scalpel um, and, and turning to Chilton uh, and saying, shall we begin, yeah. which is the end of the movie. And mm. it's really interesting how that would have been... Like, the movie is hammy at certain points, as Dave mentioned, the line, you know, I'm having an old friend for dinner. That's Yeah, that's, like, very winky and hammy to the audience. But it also knows when to pull back when necessary. And I think that's a really good example of how the movie could have superseded. Uh, it could have gone too far. And I think that it's so much more effective and so much creepier just to kind of watch him 
you know, exist and flood away and all that kind of thing. So, and, and even that sequence, they were supposed to shoot it. They, they, they spent all this money to go to this tropical location. And the day, the, the week that they were scheduled to shoot it, it was raining all week. And uh, the original intention was that it was supposed to be like blue skies and beautiful, but it ends up being this kind of overcast, cloudy day. And I think that almost works in benefit to the movie. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Hannibal Lecter is like this dark presence that even turns these beautiful sunny vacation locales <laughs> into places. So I think that there's a lot of happy accidents in this movie that it would have been a totally different film and it may have been fine or, you know, it, but it just wouldn't have been the movie that we see. And I don't think it necessarily would have worked as well, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess kind of um, any other thing we want to talk about in uh, the silence of the lambs about this movie? I mean, how come, how come more genre pictures aren't given this kind of critical acclaim? Like, what separates a movie like this from something like Gone Girl or well, something like that? I think Why is Julie, Gone Girl not given a Best Picture nomination? Uh, I don't know. Haven't seen it. Haven't I seen don't it. Know. Spoilers, I mean, I, I would compare this more to a movie like Seven, which came out just a few years after, and why you know you would think why didn't a movie like Seven get nominated for Best Picture? But I think that um, this movie. You know, is a little bit more hopeful <laughs> than, than a lot of a lot. If we're talking about dark genre pictures, uh, this movie definitely has a little bit of a you know of a optimistic quality to it. And I think it's because Jonathan Demme is uh, you know just seeing him in interviews and his other movies, he's got a lot of heart that he puts into you know all the stories, like whether it's Philadelphia and Tom Hanks's character, and um, or uh, Rachel getting married and seeing you know redemption of that of uh, Anne Hathaway's character. Um, you know, he just, you know, I, I feel like uh, it's hard to explain why uh, other genre pictures don't get quite, you know, appreciated in the, in the same way. I mean, if, I'm thinking um, the year after this, Unforgiven won Best Picture, and that was a genre Western. You know, it's a Western, and uh, Westerns aren't typically known for winning Best Picture, you know, either. So uh, I guess maybe it was just a time where people were really starting to appreciate it. Um, well, I also, it. I just feel like we don't get a lot of these type of movies anymore. I don't think we get um, high production caliber genre movies as much as we used to and there are exceptions to that so don't you know go i think mad max is a great example of an action film that's uh, that is technically beyond what your standard action film is um but i feel like we get especially around award season we get awards movies mm -hmm. and we get uh movies that are meant to be seen by large audiences we get awards movies and large audience movies and i i i really miss the time when we were just making movies that maybe could have appealed to both and i think silence of the lambs is indicative that that is possible mm -hmm. and i just wish we had more of those like i'm and this is going to sound really down but like i don't ever want to see the danish girl <laughs> with eddie redmond like there's there's right. nothing about that movie that <laughs> like really like to pick on that movie because it's just so like it looks like a parody for an oscar it looks like a movie that would have been at the beginning of tropic thunder to make right. fun of what oscar movies are right. like um and i just don't feel like that that those movies are created for one reason they're they're created to win statues and mm -hmm. I, I hate movies that do that <laughs> and yeah. I, I i much would rather watch just a, a good like i'm just i just want to watch movies that are good yeah. and i and i um and this is why I kind of hate the Oscars in a way, <laughs> uh, because of what gets created. Oh, that's interesting, because this is this is the movie that kind of got me into the Oscars in the first place, because, you know, this was a good entry point for me, because, uh, you know, it was, it was a genre horror taking over, uh, you know, the awards, you know, Driving Miss Daisy had won, uh, actually Dances with Wolves had won the previous year, you know, it had, it had beaten Goodfellas, so this was almost like... Goodfellas Revenge in a way, you know, like <laughs> you want to think of it that way. We're like, uh, okay, so we, we gave it to a, you know, we, we, we can appreciate violence too, I think is what the Academy was trying to say. <laughs> we can get down with some blood and gore. Yeah, well, we can. Let me give a statue for that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I think, I think you could also classify this movie as a crime procedural, right? I mean, yeah, it definitely, sure. definitely Absolutely. Is. And I think that that genre has kind of migrated to television. I mean, things like CSI or Criminal Minds or... Well, I mean, you know, or even... Law a, and Order. Even. I think the greatest analogous comparison, I think they're very comparable... Um, media in terms of story and, and tone uh, True Detective season one oh, true, yeah, I think sure. is reminds me a lot of Silence of oh, the Lambs oh yeah yeah totally. uh, I feel like really kind of inspired by Silence of the Lambs and um, and I um, I mentioned this to you guys earlier but if Silence of the Lambs were made today it would be an eight episode Netflix series or HBO series mm -hmm. or and I the, I love how this movie is two hours it's under two hours like it is a tight picture and you go back and you look at the structure of this movie and they they cut out a lot of stuff like they don't show everything they, they skip they skip to the point like they never show there's a mention of when they find a second moth 
in another 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 dead body they 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 just say it over the phone that it happened yeah. or the fact that she discovers how she discovers the um location of the storage locker in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. she just says oh i found it and we're going to yeah. cut we're going to cut straight to it yeah. but if that was if this was being uh, expanded to a television series, as I believe it would be if it were made today, there would be a whole episode about her finding the location of this uh, storage locker, and that episode would end with her raising up the storage locker. Right. And then we go into the next episode because we live in this this era of binge watching where I feel like we we don't give we we create stories to be told for as long a runtime as possible. Whereas I think great movies are the opposite of that. Great movies are paring down large content into uh, into tight. Um, into tight uh, stories. And I think that that's why I love movies so much. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the age of television that we're in, but I love the structure. I love screenplay structure. I love I love thea- uh, theatrical screen- screenplay structure, and I think this is a great example of that. So Right. It's its, it's, its own uh, challenge, right? TV, you know, t- taking a story and stretching it out to 10 or 13 uh, hours is its own challenge. But, you know, it, it also come, what comes with it sometimes is a little fat. And I think a movie, uh, a movie is its own balancing act, and uh, it's asking you to get the same emotional response, uh, you know, or at least some kind of uh, emotional response from release from just two hours or three hours, however, however long it is, because you know you don't want to sit. You know, no one can really sit in a theater for longer than that. I mean, it, it, you know, just imagine watching Breaking Bad, you know, like a whole season of Breaking Bad, uh, you know, sitting for thirteen hours or however long it is. You, you can't do it. I mean, it, it, movies ask different things of you, I think. And um, so I think you're right. I think you're onto something. It's, it's a, a, it, I don't know if I would call one better than the other, but I, I think, you know, Sons of Lambs definitely represents, I think, the best of what movies uh, can do. It's just, you know, if you, you know, whether you're into, uh, whether you're able to handle the content and, uh, and the themes or not, I still think it's, um, it's one of those uh, movies where uh, it's hard to argue with, you know, the quality of it. Um, so any other, fa- any other final favorite moments, uh, of the movie? I think that the climax, I, lo- I love the scene in the, uh, for whatever reason, there's this throwaway line where, where they're, uh, they're watching the elevator. It's during Hannibal Lecter's escape and off screen. So one of the, uh, the guard, one of the, uh, FBI guys says the hell bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea, but for whatever reason, that's one of those, every time I hear it, I always have to repeat it. I'm like the hell bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously he's just saying, what the hell is going on? But instead he just says the hell bitch. Um, I, um, I like the little fake out where you think that the FBI are ringing James Gum's door, but really she's the one there, and they're happening simultaneously. I think that's right. a, I think that's a good moment. I think it's. Pre- I, I knew that was happening. Though. Yeah, like, I, I did too. I, it's predictable. I'm like, come but on, come I, on. No so one. No, well, happening. again, it's like it's a, it's like one of those first time in the theater kind of things you see in the theater. No one knew that's what was going to happen. So, you know, it was a, a huge gasp in the audience when you know the door opens and it's. Uh, Jodie Foster standing there. I just think it's a really, uh, I mean, even if it's a predictable moment, it's a really great use of editing to Mm -hmm. ramp up tension uh, and, you know, not using, uh, to make things scary in in a different kind of way. Um, So I I like that moment. Um, Here's a question. So for for a movie we're talking about is very lean and it doesn't put anything that's unnecessary in the movie. What's the point of her getting the dog down in uh, the, the, the girl in the, in the pit, getting the the dog to come down because it serves no purpose. It's not even like it, Oh, I like, disagree. It prolongs her life, right? Yeah. Uh, she, but, she, uh, yeah, she, but it's, it's kind of a waste of time. It's not like that unhinges him or tilts him in a way where he gets captured because he was emotionally unbalanced. Like it doesn't have any real point. She just to wants it, to right? escape. No, she just wants to escape. She thinks that. No, I know, uh, but I, I, but as far as like screen time goes, and as far as you know, we're saying this is a lean movie. Why did that get left in? Because there's no reason why that needs to be in there at all. Because this this is a movie about uh, the power of. Of, of women, I would say, and that's that's giving her a little bit of, of power finally in the movie, and making her not just the damsel in distress. She's taking an active agency. Yeah, but in that her feels that feels like oh well, we're getting some we're getting some crap because our woman in the pit is not strong enough. So let's put a scene in there that makes it feel. I don't know. Like don't it does, it does nothing for the plot. There's nothing to drive anything. No, um, I disagree. <laughs> Pretty strongly. How do, you, how do you disagree? Like, how does it add to the, the, that? We just, we plot? just said her we just role. Said. Her, no, but her job is to be the damsel in distress. She needs to be rescued. Like that. That's it well, almost I mean, goes if, against if, that. You know what I mean? I just felt it, it was distracting goes, because I felt it plays as if back that into this idea something. that you can be scared and you can be distressed and you can be. Uh, 
you can be in a bad situation, but you can still sh- like you can be vulnerable, but you can still show sh- excuse me show strength. Oh and gosh, if only of- that was there was another character in the movie that did that. Like I don't know, Jodie Foster. <laughs> I don't know. I think I- that they're showing it that everyone. I think that they're showing that uh, many characters in the movie can do that, and I think that that's important. Um, but you know, it's a minute point. It's all, how much screen time are we talking about here? Maybe like two minutes of screen time. Yeah, I think that no, it's longer because there's the scene of him in there. And it's, it's distracting because instead of that being a scene about this guy, now it's a scene about this guy and, like, I don't know. I just, I'm just i furling my eyebrows at you, Mike. <laughs> Furl away. Furl away. You're going to get wrinkles that way, I'll tell you. I know from experience. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, agree to disagree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Uh, any final thoughts about The Silence of the Lambs? I don't think so. I think uh, nope. we all seem to be on, on the... Yeah, these same movie, page movies here. like this aren't fun to talk about, Dave. Because I'm like, sorry. no, because hey, it's 25 years old. It was made in my hometown. No, I think no. There's a lot of stuff to discuss about what it does right. What even you know, any movie we've all agreed on, I think it's it's still good to talk about what does work, what does hold up, what doesn't. Sometimes you get port- movies that things don't hold up, and this one I think does. Yeah, I mean that is true. I mean, it is a masterclass in great filmmaking, and um, it is something that in 25 years I don't I think it's going to be still as strong of a film. Uh, I can't wait to show it to my son. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> a real family watching experience. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, all in all, good times all around. <laughs> great, great movie. Great great time. Uh, closing Classic. Out this, <laughs> closing out this episode. Mike, uh, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Morandi, or you can find me at MikeMorandi.com. Dave, what about you? Uh, on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at Ivan Kander uh, uh, tw- on Twitter. That's K-A-N-D-E-R. And my website is Lucky9Studios.com. So that is how you can reach us. Um, if you want to contact the show, you can email us at contact at reviewpodcast.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. And you can email... I already said that, didn't I? Yeah. And you can, That's all right. Yeah, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. That's always helpful uh, you can leave a review of review which is just brilliantly <laughs> meta um i did want to mention that our next episode i believe is going to be batman mask of the phantasm we have a Ooh. new we have a batman superman movie coming out in theaters in a week or so we want to talk so, about a real batman movie <laughs> so i want to talk about what i consider to be the greatest batman movie no ever spoiler made. alerts whoa whoa I'm not, I, I mean i can't my love for batman mask of the phantasm cannot be denied so i'm very curious to what you guys think especially in this age of movies like the dark knight and all these other subsequent you know so to quote unquote great batman movies this uh, is going to be our first animated movie right? it's also going to be our first animated movie which is also kind of sad that it took us 56 57 episodes to get to an animated film so um, uh, I'm excited to talk about that Um, so until next time um, goodbye fuck me (laughs) I'd fuck me (laughs) alright that's gonna be in your dreams tonight wow wow